Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of guests to help all writers compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Tori Eldred steps into the interrogation room just to clear up a few things. As a thriller writer, Tori is the recipient of the 2019 Thriller Book of the Year by AOAT Global Radio Network and a nominee for the Lefty Awards Best Debut Mystery Novel. Tori has several published short stories, a nonfiction book on empowerment, and earned a semi-finalist place in the Academy Nickel Fellowship for her screenplay entitled The Gift. Born in Honolulu, Tori has performed, danced, and sung on Broadway, TV, and film. She's a wonderful mix of Hawaiian, Chinese, and Norwegian ethnicities, and holds a fifth-degree black belt in Toshindo Ninjutsu. She's traveled throughout the U.S. teaching seminars on the ninja arts, weapons, and women's self-protection. She and her husband live in Los Angeles, which is where she's based her current series on a character named Lily Wong. The debut release in the series is entitled The Ninja Daughter, and its sequel comes out in September 2020. Well, welcome back to Raiders on the Beat, Tori. I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, you've made time to come back and talk to us again. And uh, given our, our my personal problems with all the tech issues we've had over the last month, I'm exceptionally grateful for your patience. Oh, of course. I always enjoy talking with you, Gavin. <laughs> so what I really want to focus on today, obviously, is this new release, The Ninja Daughter, and your your background in, in writing this story. This is such an exceptional tale, and I'm very, very grateful that you put this out for all of us. Oh, thanks so much. That really means a lot, uh, especially coming from you. I mean, law enforcement, tough writer, tough guy. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. I do. I really mean that sincerely. Flattery will get you invited back every time. <laughs> Ninja, ninja at work. (laughs) For readers who haven't yet picked up a copy of this or haven't run across it, what do you want them to know about the Ninja Daughter? Oh, boy. I I think it's safe to say it's unlike anything that you've read. Um, (laughs) Only because I'm really striving to blend some very unusual things. I have Mm -hmm. this, this uncommon hero. Lily Wong. She's a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja in Los Angeles. She's a heroine for the Me Too era. She is, she's 25. She's out there working for a women's shelter, trying to do, do her part, sometimes not always uh, in, easily with law enforcement, but you yes. know she tries. But the thing that makes her really unusual is that she is 25, and she has a immigrant Hong Kong mother and a father from North Dakota, a Norwegian father, supposed to be a farmer, turns into a Chinese chef, falls <laughs> in love with her mother, and she's got this incredibly complex dynamic. Mm-hmm. And she's at an age where she's trying to figure out how to be an adult in a family. And if you know anything about mm-hmm. Asian families, uh, you know, Chinese families, that's, I'm Chinese. And so I can speak to that a family, whether it's working for you or it's not, there is no escaping it. You, it is in the DNA and it's not just your immediate family. It goes mm-hmm. back into your grandparents, into all sorts of things, the filial responsibility, the pressure, the obligation, the things that are coming in through here. So while she's being this, uh, 
some people might say a vigilante, and she's out there kicking butt, you know, Mm -hmm. and doing what she can to help. And she gets embroiled in this very complex, dangerous mystery. She's got this family stuff to deal with, Mm -hmm. you know, so I call it a, you know, it's a, it's a action thriller and it has kind of a joy luck club family element woven into it. And so that makes it very, very unusual. Now, for the really young readers and listeners in the audience, you need to Google Joy Luck Club and you need to, you need to watch that movie, read the book. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, now, I, I really am enthralled with this story and this character, Lily Wong. And um, you talked a little bit about your, your personal background being fairly similar to Lily's. And I, I wonder how much of that really played into, into this story and into this character that you've been writing now for really five or six years uh, since you first created Lily? Yeah. Um, li- the first uh, public appearance of Lily came in a short story in Suspense Magazine's Best of 2014. And so now we've just begun 2020. So there you have it. From the moment yeah. I wrote that short story, I knew it was going to be a novel. I mean, she just she just came to life right in front of me and I went, whoa. Uh, so yeah, she has lived with me for a while in that sense. And yeah, she does really draw from my personal heritage and my personal experience. That said, Lily and I are very different mm-hmm. people. Our parents are very different people. Our relationships with our parents are very different people. Um, yeah, our experiences in Los Angeles yeah. are very different. Mine are much calmer. <laughs> Much more benign. You've enjoyed LA, yeah. I have. <laughs> but um, but I will say I have it was very important to me to pull from my heritage and experience and to bring authenticity to this story uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the ninja daughter, right? Ninja. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hold a fifth degree black belt in Toshindo ninjutsu. Uh, I think of myself as a modern day ninja. And I'm sure that I don't look like what people's perception of what that might Mm -hmm. be looks like. And so I wanted to break through the stereotype Mm -hmm. of how people usually imagine ninja, which what, you know, comes from movies and ridiculous comedies and assassins and historical fiction and all this kind of stuff, which by the way, I love, I mean, way fun, (laughs) right? I mean, yeah, it's so it's, fun. What's yeah, not to love? Yeah, yeah fun, <laughs> fun, fun, but, you know, uh, antiquated, stereotyped, all those things. Yeah, and it's, it's typecast. Yeah. Sure, sure, of course. So I wanted to show a different perspective. I mm-hmm. wanted to show what a modern contemporary perspective of what it's like for, for practitioners of the ninja art. And mm-hmm. by the way, there are thousands of us all around the world, probably in your neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't know a single assassin among us. So, <laughs> Well, w- would you though? I mean, isn't that part of the code? You know, it's like the fight club. You don't talk about fight club. You don't talk about ninjutsu assassins. <laughs> well, I really hope there aren't any. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to show people that authentic, mm-hmm. um, glimpse, you know, at least from my perspective and my, uh, experience of um, 
the the training and the esoteric qualities and the mindset and the empowerment and things of that nature. So that was important to me. The other thing that I drew from, of course, was my cultural heritage. My mother is Chinese Hawaiian from Maui, and my father was Norwegian uh, from North Dakota. They met and married in Japan. So already I have, uh, if we just take Hawaii out of the equation for the moment, already we have the triangle that Lily has, the Chinese mother, the Norwegian father, and the Japanese influence. Not only of my art, but because of the the importance the Japanese culture had, especially on my father, oddly enough, and uh, because my sisters were both born in Tokyo. Wow. Yeah. And so I wanted to bring all that cultural mm, mm-hmm. interest. It's so, it's so layers, rich. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to share it. Now, you've been writing fiction in various forms for, for quite a while. And I wonder when, when you knew you wanted to write. Hmm. Well, writing has always been a strength. And when I was in high school, you know, I was one of those, one of those gals who was writing all that deep poetry. Oh my gracious. Yeah, that was me. Susan Polish Schultz in the making. (laughs) You'd have to be really older to know who that reference is. But anyway, yeah, a lot of teenage angst. Um, But I didn't pursue it because I was hell-bent to be on Broadway. I mean, that was my thing. I was a dancer, singer, actress, and that's where I was going. Uh, So with a one-year stop at Northwestern, I hit, you know, New York at 19, and I I guess within a year, I had my first Broadway contract. So that that was a a focus. So I wasn't thinking of writing. (laughs) Well, it's a fantastic accomplishment, especially in that short time frame. That is not an easy road to hoe. No, no, it's not. It's really, it's competitive and there's a lot of work and it was very exciting. Mm -hmm. It was very exciting to be this young Hawaiian in New York City. I I really thought I owned the, owned the city. This is my (laughs) town. You know, I'm so lucky I didn't get mugged. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, they're lucky. They didn't try to mug you, I think. No, I didn't know any of this then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't, oh, yep, yep. That. I would have just, you know, round kicked, high kicked them. And, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what I would have done. I, I I had a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> yes. I'll say that for myself. But when I ended up moving to Los Angeles and I um, was on a television series and uh, my uh, husband, who I guess you know, by that time we were married, um, he was a uh, beginning a career as a producer and was getting in a lot of screenplays. So I was reading a lot of screenplays and I was already a voracious fiction reader. Mm-hmm. And so I started trying my hand at screenplays and I really, I really liked it. And so I was, I was doing that for a while and somebody read one of my screenplay, one, a lot of people read this particular screenplay, it ended up being uh, a semi-finalist for the Academy Nicole Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And everyone who read it said, oh, the writing, you should be writing novels. And so I took their advice and I expanded it into this very ambitious novel. And I started to submit it and I realized, whoa, this is a, this is a big deal this writing career. This is, this is not just, oh, I'm going to submit a couple things, see what happens. It, right. It's like, no, you, you want a career as a writer. You have to really immerse yourself. You have to learn the business. You have mm-hmm. to dive into it in the same way that I did 
that got me into Broadway musicals in the same way that got me into television and film. And, uh, and I had this budding singing career. Um, I needed to apply myself in that way. And I realized that I did not want to do that at that time. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, two young sons and I really wanted to be a, a full-time stay-at-home mom. And I had just caught the martial arts bug and, uh, Wow. You know, that basically became mm-hmm. the focus of my life uh, until I came back to, uh, I wrote a nonfiction and then I kept yearning to write a fiction and I got an idea for a book and I started writing it and I got a couple of chapters in. I went, wait a minute, what's in the closet? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but that wasn't the Ninja Daughter, by the way. It was a, a manuscript on which I earned my craft, learned my craft, but that's how I got back into it. Now, you've mentioned... Um mentoring a little bit. And I, I know that, you know, you've done quite a lot to mentor and, and train and empower women uh, and even incorporated that into, into your recent book tour for the Ninja Daughter. I wonder how you started getting into that and, and what you've contributed and taken out of it. Well, well, I, to begin with, I really appreciate you saying that and feeling that. Um, as I was training in Toshindo Ninjutsu, it's um, a modern evolution of an ancient, you know, the ninja arts, nine lineages brought together. And it was founded by Stephen K. Hayes and his wife, Rumiko Hayes. And so much of the way that they teach this art is paralleling the physical and emotional um aspects of life and applying our, our kata, our physical ninja um, fight scenarios, our lessons, mm-hmm. our training, applying it to everyday life in non-physical situations, right? So that was part of the way that this art was fed to me. And that became very important to me. That was something that resonated hugely. So I like ran with it. That that became a priority for me. So when I was about, maybe I think it was a fourth done, something like that, fourth degree black belt, I, I decided to write a book and it was called Empowered Living, A Guide to Physical and Emotional Protection. And in that, I integrated physical and emotional. I wrote a lot of anecdotes. I connected the strategies. I I connected the dots so that somebody, hopefully, uh, mostly women, but men as well, um, could read these, these strategies and these stories and these anecdotes and these concepts and see how I've applied, how they could practice it in their everyday emotional life with their families at work and so forth, mm-hmm. and how that would connect with a physical s- scenario. So that perhaps somewhere in their brain, as they are practicing this in an emotional sense, that these concepts become ingrained in them if they ever experience a fil- physical altercation. I don't know if that would be the case, but that was my hope. That was what I wanted to do was give something that was immediately beneficial. And immediately beneficial is something people can use in their everyday lives, yes, right? And so, so I put that out there and I started teaching uh, seminars and I, I wrote a mindful musings blog, you know, on mindful living for, I don't know, a decade. And, um, and then I had a radio, uh, a podcast uh, like you do 
for Authors on the Air Global Radio Network called Empowered Living, and I brought in um, people that I thought uh, leaders, and we discussed significant topics to them, and that would be relevant to other people. And so, I, you know, I do things like that, and and mostly I just try, even though I don't train and teach anymore. Uh, generally speaking, I came out of retirement for my book tour, but <laughs> generally speaking, I don't. I, I like to be available. So there are a lot of people practicing ninja, ninjutsu, and, and some people who are just, you know, out there in everyday life and they reach out to me and, you know, I try to be present and I try to, I don't know, have an ear, and give an ear. <laughs> diving back to the, the ninja daughter, um, Lily appears in this book in, in first person point of view. And I wondered uh, how you came to that decision, if that was something that Lily decided for you, or if that's, you know, how she appeared or, or was it a conscious choice and how you wanted to tell her story? No, Lily, Lily demanded it. it <laughs> Hannah, I don't know what to tell you that, you know, that project that I was learning my craft on that was originally written in a third person omniscient, and then it became a very close third person. And so I had been writing in that way. And then I had, um, the, uh, short story on which the Ninja daughter, um, was not I don't know, based inspired right mm -hmm. that was the my my first venture into a short story short fiction writing and it came stream of consciousness it came out of a a, a facebook challenge yeah. to write a 200 word thriller and so that was my <laughs> premise I, yeah it can be done yeah, yeah. It, it was really valuable i'm so glad i did it mm -hmm. and, and so it gave me a premise and so i just took a journal and i started stream of consciousness writing, and it came out as first person. Later, short stories were not. They were, they were third person. I think maybe one of them was a first person, but the majority of things that I've written have been a very close third person, but not Lily. Um, she, she, she was talking and she was talking from mm -hmm. her point of view. And of course, I knew as a writer that this was going to add a challenge in that I could only tell what Lily sees mm -hmm. or Lily reads or Lily hears or Lily witnesses, right? So, you know, I can't do, you know, all these things where now we are suddenly in this other place and we're learning yes. things she doesn't know. Uh, nope. It's all, it's all through her. And I, quite frankly, I really enjoyed that, that challenge and it worked for this book and it worked for her. Now, one of the, first topics that comes up in the ninja daughter is is domestic violence and I, I wonder why you chose that topic and what you would like readers to take away from the experience of lily's um lily's life here mm. well lily's sister was a victim of rape and murder and um it was a very tragic thing for her and it derailed Lily's life and it was the impetus that caused her to want to go out there and be a protector and and defender and a mm -hmm. big sister to a city because she thinks she failed right as a sister mm -hmm. and so these are the the kinds of things she gravitates for she also she works for a woman's shelter and this woman's shelter, you know, deals with domestic violence. Why, why did I have her doing that? Because crimes against uh, women and 
the things that we go through, domestic mm -hmm. violence is huge. And not just with uh, people we're married to, but with people we're dating, people we're around. Most of the um, physical crimes against women are done by men they know. Yes. Uh, of course, there are crimes, women against women, but I'm talking about, you know, the the predominant, right? You know, yes. the, uh, the the greatest. The bulk. Uh, yeah, incidents of that. And so I didn't see, it, it was just obvious. I mean, I had to go there. And the the nature of domestic violence, which is why I really enjoyed writing and delving into Katerina and her situation was to show how complex this is, how nuanced this is, and to give an appreciation for, you can't go in and force, force this, force your will. You can't save, you know, force somebody to be saved or force them to be saved in a way that you want them to be. And that was, these are very important things that, that I felt uh, should be brought to light. And so uh, I, I enjoy doing that. The interesting thing is, is that's not the main mystery, right? Because yeah. Mia is the, the one she protects that brings her into this really, you know, complex mystery that's going on in Los Angeles and politics and land grabs and metro and oh my gracious. But it, you know, the it's all mm, riffing on a theme, as I would have said in my music days. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you've done such a fantastic job of, of writing Lily and making her so easily visual, uh, relatable and, and such, and her own entity in my mind is the reader that even oh. you, you talking about like the, her sister being, being victimized. Like I feel a little bit of grief and I feel like I should, you know, offer my sympathies to you as the writer who created these things. You know, it's just, you, you've done such a wonderful job of bringing her into real life. I appreciate that. You know, when I was talking about it just a little bit, I was feeling that mm -hmm. for her, you know, when I, when I talk about that, it, it hits me because I, mm -hmm. I think yeah. of the pain that she went through and that she continues to go through and that her parents continue to go through because these things are not once and done. Uh, they change your life. They mark your life. They stain your life. And they have to be dealt with and they have to be lived through. And that's something else I want to do. I mean, because this, this is a fast-paced yeah. action thriller mystery. I mean, it really is. It's, it's fast-paced. From all counts, people are telling me, I started it. The next thing I know, I'm on chapter 10. The next thing I know, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and that's the screenwriter in me. You know, that's very <laughs> intentional. Yeah, very it's a craft. It is, and it's well executed. I appreciate that. Uh, but at the same time, it was very important for me to delve into emotion, to delve into relationships, mm -hmm. to, to go there. And so the challenge was, how do you do both? Yeah. And I think, and, that, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that I think that you've done such a good job of appealing to the commonality of the human experience. I mean, none of us gets out of this life without trauma, without experiencing, um, violence or, you know, the, the, the things that make us relate to these characters and, and make us, you know, eke out these emotions that, you know, we've maybe kept buried ourselves. And one of the, the very next themes that I've encountered in this book as a reader is, is the morality of violence, um, and self-defense and justifications. And I, I really appreciate it as, 
as a retired cop and 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 instructor in 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 Krav Maga, how you dealt with that. Mm, I'm glad to hear that, especially coming from you. I I like gray areas. <laughs> <laughs> as a writer, or as a person, <laughs> both, both, both. I don't I don't see a lot of black and white. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had a speech teacher. I gave a speech and then she hounded me to join the debate team. She hounded me for years to join the debate team because I'm one of those people who can who can debate both sides. Yes. And and it, it, it can be really frustrating to people around me, but that's I see these things, you know, mm-hmm. from both sides and how how they're going on. And so I don't tend to get caught into this one opinion versus that one opinion. I'm seeing all these uh, diametrically opposed thoughts and these these different shades of gray in between. And so I really want to bring that to everything, to the morality that you're talking about uh, in the violence, to the relationships that she has with her parents, to how she feels about the women that she handles, to how, you know, the, the views on... Um, crimes against women, uh, you name it, everything. And and in all of this is there's this sardonic humor that, yes. you know, I mean, she's, <laughs> she's funny, you yes. know, she's, and there are funny situations because you know what? We laugh. Uh, sometimes at the most inappropriate times, we laugh. I mean, we, we humans are very complex people. Yes. And, and regardless of, you know, what your heritage is or where you live or the degree that violence has or has not touched your life mm-hmm. or or any of that the thing that's common with all of us is this complexity i don't think there's anybody out there anybody i've met who thinks of themselves as a simple person you know, oh yeah. I mean, they might say it. They might say it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm a yeah. simple person. Just give me this, this, and I'm done. Yeah. But if you have a, a real deep conversation with them, you'll find out they don't think themselves that way. And of course, we yeah. aren't. We are nuanced humans, and I like to write about that. Now, in in terms of conflict and, and tension, which is inherent in the the thriller genre, and you know, uh, you've done such a fantastic job of incorporating, as you've mentioned, a lot of conflict into Lily's life and into this story. As a writer, when do you know you have enough conflict and when do you know you have too much? When have you gone over the line? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I, I am an outliner. So again, this comes from screenwriting. I, I tend to start from a seed and, and it grows and it grows like, you know, this wild bush in all sorts of different directions, right? But it starts from the center. It starts from that seed. And for me, that's a log line or a premise. And then it expands into a little bit more and a little bit more. And then what I do is I like to write in Scrivener. That's how I do my first drafts because they have this neat little binder thing that lets you put um, all of the chapters into folders. And for me, I group them in acts. And again, screenwriting thing, I write in four acts, the second and third act being the, the big middle, because middles are generally twice as big as, you know, the, the beginning and the, the end. Yep. And yeah, so I just divide that. I give them, you know, two different acts. So my middle has two acts and, and I populate it with chapters. 
And what this structure gives to me for pacing and for story and to let me know whether I have enough or I have too much is every act has its own midpoint and its own climax. And, and that's why I really like having that two-act structure for the middle because it, it, give, it keeps it going. It doesn't make it this big lump, <laughs> right? It's broken into two, and it, and and the first half has got this midpoint, then it's got this climax. This thing is going to turn it around, then it's got another midpoint, it's got another climax, it's going to turn it around. And so I I keep that's what keeps the pacing. So as I'm laying out my my plot, and you know I know a lot of uh, pantsers look mm-hmm. at plotters and they think, oh, formula. <laughs> it's a formula. You've got a formula and you're taking your story and you're plugging it in and it's not creative and things like that. And, and that may be true for some people, but for me, it's a creative process. This is how I create. When I get around to doing my first draft, my first drafts are pretty darn clean. They're not, they have to be edited, trust me, but they're not as messy and um, long-winded and ambling uh, as a lot of writers first draft, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of writers do a first draft, they're exploring the way I explore when I'm doing my, my plot, when I'm doing my outline. That's how I do it. And every, as I go through my story, every chapter I've got like a little summary because it's, it's telling me, Ooh, this is what happened. And this is what happened. Uh, I once did, um, I once plotted out this very, very complex sequel to a very complex story mm-hmm. uh, novel, and it turned into a 44,000-word chapter-by-chapter summary. <laughs> okay, some people might call that a first draft. I called it an outline. <laughs> so, so when I say my outlines are creative, I, I really mean it. The, the Ninja Daughter outline wasn't that crazy, but it, it was in there. So I can, I can see the pacing of it and I can see where one act is getting too bloated or getting too uh, complicated or not enough. And the other thing that I like about Scrivener is I can color code things. I'm really mm-hmm. visual and I love colors. <laughs> So um, every chapter that has anything to do with family, I give it a color. Any chapter that has to do with action or violence, I give it a color. Uh, Any chapter that has sensei in it, I give it a color. Any chapter that has Alicia and Stan Mm -hmm. uh, from the uh, The uh, women's shelter, I give it a color. And so I can look at, at my outline and say, oh, wow, I haven't... I, I need to get back to that person. Mm-hmm. I need to get back yeah. to this or, oh, wow, I'm just hanging on this too long. I gotta, I can open that up and, and put this in. And it really helps me keep that pace and keep, because there are a lot of complex threads and keep them all touch and base. Now, if a writer in the audience, if someone wanted to write kind of a Tory Eldridge character, that had this very rich cultural background, this very extensive expertise in in martial arts, and this very gray but very just moral code who went around trying to do right and improve the world around her. What would you want them to most get right about that character? Oh, wow. (gasps) Um, 
authenticity. And and if you're if you're trying if you were trying to write the character you just described, and you didn't have any of that in your personal experience, mm-hmm. then I I would say there would be an awful lot of research to do. And not just superficial research, but you'd have to, well, there would be, a, especially with the ninjutsu boy, you'd have to do a lot of research on that and a lot. Of, but that, that'd be hard. That'd be hard you're, because you're, you're I'm really given- you classes, yeah. Oh, more than that, because the kind of, the, 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 the depth of the stuff that I'm talking about in there, that's, that's the kind of stuff you don't even learn in your first couple dons, your, you know, your first degree, your second degree, black belt. You know, a lot of that stuff is is really deep and esoteric and mm-hmm. and things like that 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 I'm not even sure you'd be able to gain through interviews, but you might. And if you were going to go there, boy, I'd really want you to do that. But when it comes to cultural cultural things, um, you can research that, you can interview people, but on top of that, you have to you have to find a way to feel it. Um, you have to uh, look at it from the inside. So, you know, if you're going to write a character from another culture, uh, enjoy their music, enjoy what they like to watch, enjoy their cultures, enjoy their community, um, read authors of their community who write in their community, saturate yourself with this point of view until it becomes uh, familiar and something that you value and enjoy. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a big task. It's mm-hmm. a very difficult thing to write something as as uh, culturally specific as what you described when you described me <laughs> if you don't have any of that. It can be done, mm-hmm. but you know, there, there has to be a lot of commitment. Usually when I see authors who are doing that really well, it's because they have an incredible fascination with whatever that other thing is. Like the, that uh, project on which I was learning my craft. So mm-hmm. much of it uh, was landed in Brazil and involved the, uh, the spiritualism of Brazil. Well, I'm the kind of person who is really fascinated by world culture, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, growing up in Hawaii, yes. all the cultures. I'm fascinated by that. I took a deep dive into that. That was, I mean, the exploration was the joy mm-hmm. for me. And it, was, it meant so much to me that people who read it said, oh, I really, I really felt like you were speaking from authority. I really felt like you were taking me somewhere authentic. And I have only been in Brazil once <laughs> for a few days in one city. But it was the degree of my fascination and my research and, quite frankly, my love for the culture I was talking about that, that allowed me to do that. So it's absolutely possible. Uh, I would just say please, you know, don't do it lightly. Dive in, dive in and do it well. Now, I also know that most writers are the most avid readers. And I wonder if you have some favorite authors or favorite characters that you read in in detective or crime fiction or uh, or kind of thrillers in general. Hmm. Um, Tracy Clark 
writes a great character, Cass Rains, in her Chicago mm-hmm. mystery. She's, uh, you, you may even know her, uh, it's a cop series. Well, she's, uh, yeah, she's a Chicago former cop. That's a great one. Um, here in Los Angeles, Rachel Housel Hall has a, a terrific uh, series. And again, that features a black police officer, uh, Lou Norton, and full oh boy, uh, both of these officers, both of these authors, they just, they nail that voice so strong, so hard, and the pace and the story and the authenticity of it, so good. Um, so I really like that. Um, Shane Gerke, uh, he's another Illinois author. He's got some thrillers, uh, police procedurals that are just really great, strong women. I like that a lot. Yeah. Right now, <laughs> yeah. I really do. I dig strong women. Yeah. Yes, bring it yeah. on. So, you know, there are just a few to throw out there. Now, the last question I ask of all the authors who come on the show, and I, I expect you probably know this is coming, uh, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find, Tori, that you've been murdered, God forbid it should happen, but you wake up tomorrow, find you've been murdered, would you want Lou or Cass or one of these other characters investigating your homicide, or would you want someone else assigned to the case? Hmm. Well, depending on the city, I'd want one or the other of them, definitely. <laughs> it would probably end up being Lou Norton because I live here in Los Angeles, so that's a plus. But I think uh, I think I also want I think I want somebody in the private sector digging deep and looking at it mm-hmm. from another point of view. So, you know, I may take um, Joey Day's IQ and put him on on the case, again, because he's in L.A. He's kind of like a uh, black Sherlock Holmes, uh, mm-hmm. definitely not a cop. So, and, and <laughs> yeah. he, you know, and he can really, you know, dig deep and, and get under, under there. So that might be, um, that might be a great thing. Um, after reading, uh, Steph Chaw's your house will pay. I'm thinking, I haven't read them yet, but I'm thinking her Juniper song, uh, I, I might want to, you know, have somebody just run this by Steph and have her turn her, her very, um, critical seeking eye and, and dive in there, uh, with, you know, from some point of view or another and, and kind of lend her, lend her insight I think that might be a good thing. <laughs> you know, I, I, I almost, as, as you're talking about this and putting this task force together of these investigative and avenging superstars, I almost want to see about putting together like a, uh, a, a charity task force short story of all these authors with their characters writing about investigating and avenging your hypothetical murder. I, I think this would sell like right. hotcakes. And I think we could, we could benefit a lot of women's shelters just, just from this, uh, this one short story. Oh, oh goodness. Well, you know, and I have to throw one more out there because if, if there's something, you know, international or truly uh, devious and notorious about my demise, mm-hmm. somebody's going to have to call Joe Ledger. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, uh, you can reach him through Jonathan Mayberry. I want Joe Ledger on the case, but I mean, you know, he tends, he's gone international now. So, uh, you know, he, he's dealing with, with bigger things than, you know, one woman in, in Los Angeles. I mean, he's got, you know, the Korean, you know, war international complex. Yeah. So, but 
if there if there's something big going on, mm-hmm. you know, deep deep behind what happened with me, somebody's got to call Lo- Joe Ledger. Well, you know, just saying. If the Ukrainian mob or the Albanians or anybody else, <laughs> any other crime groups uh, gallivanting around L.A., you know, wants some revenge against Lily, I mean, it's uh, it could happen. Yes, yes, and you know, if anybody started coming against Lily, she she just might go contact him mm-hmm. herself. Yeah, well, you know, and I I think we're going to have to have Lily here just in case. Just in case. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I hope people would want Lily on their case. Well, I greatly appreciate you making time again to stop into the writers on the <laughs> and chat with us about this book. Uh, this is a fantastic read. I cannot recommend it highly enough, and I'm I'm already looking forward to the next installment. Oh, thanks. September, September 2020. I finished the book. It's uh, in the hands with my editor. And um, yeah, I, I really like it. I got to say, I really, really like this next book. Uh, where can readers connect with you? Maybe get a, a newsletter updates or uh, just make sure they're, they're, they're up to speed on this next release when it's ready and come out. Oh, gosh. Uh, first place to go is my website, toryeldridge.com. And uh, you can find all the social media through there. Follow me on BookBub. Mm, yeah. Because, yeah, if, if you're following me, anything to do with a new release or when the time comes, you know, who knows, maybe later this year, there might be, um, you know, a- any kind of specials or whatever there. Uh, follow me on Goodreads. Same thing. If I do a gi- uh, giveaway or something, you can find me at Tori Eldridge on Twitter. And if you search at Tori Eldridge on Facebook or Instagram, it'll lead you right to my place. And and each of them are are very different conversations. Mm-hmm. And so depending on you know the kind of conversation you like or you know what you're seeing, um, you may like one platform more than another, or you may like all of them. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very easy to find on the net because. I've been on there for a long time. I've had a, because of the teaching, because I used to have an online webs, uh, um, online clothing store mm-hmm. that supported the, the book that I had written that nonfiction. So I've had a website for decades. So if you what Google history, my yeah. name, chances are I'm the first hit you're going to find <laughs> and probably the first 20 hits you're going to find. Perfect. Well, I, I greatly appreciate it, Tori, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely have you back on when that comes out next September. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. This is a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been thriller writer and fifth-degree ninja Tori Eldridge. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.